This podcast is sponsored by Dent Magic, your Bristol-based car body repair company. Visit us at Cripps Causeway or Central Bristol, or we can even come to you with our mobile service at your home or workplace. Have you got a scuff, scratch or dent on your vehicle? Dent Magic can fix them all. If you need the magic touch for your vehicle, visit www.dentmagic.net to get your quick quote online today. Hello and welcome to Three Peeps in a Podcast. My name is Patch and today we've got a very special guest. Before we bring him on, Rich is with me as always in his garden room. Rich, how are you, sir? It's getting colder, Patch, every day. This garden room gets a bit colder. I'm looking forward to back in the office days, but... Who knows when that is? Well, I think that's from from today. You're you're officially allowed to go back into the office, yeah. but um, I can't, I can't of... see our company rushing us back in. To be honest, no, exactly. Yeah, I can't wait to go back in at least one day a week just for a change of scenery, if nothing else. But as I said, our guest today um, burst onto our TVs in the year 2000 with a hidden camera sketch show called Trigger Happy TV. The show has recently appeared on Netflix for the next generation to enjoy. And for me, it's as good now as it was then. And I'm delighted to welcome the star of that show, which is Dom Jolly. Dom, how are you, sir? I'm very good. Hello, Bristol. How are you? <laughs> Come in, Bristol. Very well. Yeah, no, we're doing okay. It's um, It's been a, a, a proper a long... Bristolian accents. I love it. Well, we're trying tending to be from Bristol. You actually are Bristolians. That's <laughs> that's something that we've discussed before on the podcast. Is when when there there are people who are trying to put it on and they over accentuate it a bit too much. Well, actually, in Trigger Happy, uh, when I do sort of mad country folk at the time, I only really had one default accent, and it was a kind of shit West Country burr, and it was like <laughs> I, it was just like too much. It really I mean, ended up sounding like a fucking wurzel, so it wasn't brilliant. Can we swear on this, by the way? You can, you can, yeah. We'll just tick that explicit button. When I start off these podcasts, I do try to start off slowly and posh, but by, by the end of it, I, I start into talking too fast, Ava Bristolian, and yeah, I swear as much as the next man, Dom. So that's right. In. Well, I'm okay. drinking. It's dry January for me, so I'm drinking alcohol-free lager, although I've just uh, discovered that it's 0.5%. So I reckon, Ooh. a bit like Top Deck, if you drink enough of them, <laughs> by the end, I might be I might be talking in a different accent. That could be an interesting experiment, actually. How many of those do you need to drink in order to get a little bit of a buzz on? Well, my son worked it out. Well, he thought he worked it out. I'm, I'm not sure he's... <laughs> you know, he thought it normally, like, beers, beers what, uh, 6% or whatever. So it's a 0.5. So you need 12 of those for the equivalent of one beer. But I reckon the volume of just yeah. water in it, I, I don't think it's, it's the way forward is what no, I'm saying. I don't think it is, but it's a, it's a good way of still getting the taste and uh, daytime. It's, it's, it's more the, uh, it, it was nice. It means I can day drink now, which is always exciting. And then it's more just the ritual, really. Just when I get the urge, I have it and I think, oh, God, that's boring. And then I do something else. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, before we get into Trigger Happy, Dom, just I, I was doing an, obviously a little bit of research on the old uh, Tinternet, yeah. um, and I didn't know that you grew up and had the formative years of your life really in Beirut, yeah. Lebanon. I did. Yeah, that's um, and when you say Beirut, you know yeah. us us English folk will have a certain view. But I saw just an interview. Be, just to clarify, I'm English as well. But yeah, 
<laughs> us, us English folk, as in uh, people who didn't live in Beirut or don't know a lot about Beirut. Yeah, you you have that perception of Beirut. Uh, but I saw your interview, I think, with Lorraine on a YouTube clip, and you addressed this very point in the fact that, she, and I think Lorraine had been as well. And it's actually, you know, not like that. No, it's not. And uh, well, actually, weirdly, I mean, uh, this actually leads very quickly into me plugging because I'm on a tour at the moment uh, called Dom Jolly's Holiday Snaps, and that. The whole point of that tour is originally when I started it was to to plug a book which was called the Hezbollah Hiking Club, um, but is now called, because I got in trouble for calling it the Hezbollah Hiking Club, it's called the Downhill Hiking Club. And in that, I walk across Lebanon because when I grew up there, I was stuck in the middle of a war and I kind of didn't leave home much. So weirdly, although I lived there, I didn't really know the country brilliantly. So when I was 50, I turned, I thought it'd be a good idea for a book and I went back. And I walked across Lebanon, it took me 27 days with two mates. And it's, it is, I mean, it, that is the whole point, really. It's, it mm. is the most astonishing country and like no one goes there. So the premise of my show ended really with me saying, I'm going to persuade you that your next holiday should be uh, in Lebanon. And I'm coming to Bristol, 12th of the 5th, Grave Theatre. Do you know the Redgrave yeah. Theatre? I don't. We do. We went to we see a, a previous guest of ours, um, Alex Lowe, as Clinton Baptiste there uh, last year. Where, where is it in Bristol? Because I know Bristol quite well. But Clifton. Clifton. Oh, it's in Clifton, is it? Yeah, really nice location. Nice. Yeah, oh, by, by Clifton College. It's a, it's a great, great area. Oh, that's perfect. Because I did a gig a couple of years ago, but I did it in the theatre in the grammar school. It was a bit cold. Like, there weren't many, I'm not cold as in... You know, weather-wise, there was just hardly anyone there. Uh, right. I suppose that's just my audience, but it was just it was a very <laughs> weird place. But I love Clifton. So it's yeah, good. no, it's fantastic, fantastic part of the city, and yeah, it's a nice theatre as well. So it's nice, yeah. Uh, unbelievably, I checked out the date you were going to be there, and I'm actually at School of Rock, unfortunately, that night. So oh, what, you're um, performing in it, or you're watching? Uh, it? Well, no, I may, may, you know, maybe I will, but uh, yeah. I'm actually in the audience, um, unfortunately. But well, I'm sorry um, to hear that because that'll be a appalling evening. I know, I know. I'm absolutely gutted. Uh, yeah. But but there we go. I'll, hey, maybe I can work something out. Um, so, Dom, if, if you could just cast your mind back 20 plus years, we know yeah. that's when Trigger Happy was on TV. But yeah. what, where did the concept come from? And were there any sort of influences that s took you down that road? Um, well, essentially, there's no real concept. Growing up, I watched a lot of hidden camera. Uh, I used to watch a lot of candid camera, very early candid camera which was really genius, actually. If you think about Hidden Camera, Candy Camera, when it came out, came out in the late 40s, 1940s. Wow. It, was, it was like people think that doesn't go that far back. And it was really surreal. I mean, later Candy Camera got a bit naff and a bit golf-based. and But early Candy Camera was incredibly surreal. There's a very, very famous sketch that I've always loved, where it's a very old-school car, you know, and they're at the top of a hill. They take the engine out, so there's nothing under the bonnet. And then the guy gets in and he just lets the handbrake off and he rolls down the hill and rolls into a petrol station. And of course, in those days in America, everyone fills up the car. And so he goes, I don't know what it is. It's just conked out. Can you have a look? <laughs> so the guy <laughs> lifts up the engine, lifts up the bonnet and there's no engine. And then he goes to the back and looks and there's no engine. He just can't work it out. And that just feels so <laughs> modern. Uh, but, you know, that was like 1949 or something. He just sort of. And I loved that. I loved the. You sort of think people in black and white weren't funny, you know, didn't do it. And of course they did. And I loved that concept that Hidden Camera, uh, when it started, it was, it was actually the precursor to reality TV. It was the first time that an ordinary member of the public, that terrible phrase, was the star. You know, like it didn't have to be some 
presenter or whatever. It was a very kind of equalizing comedy. When I grew up, you know, in the 80s here and stuff, Hidden Camera was just so naff. It was Beatles about, it was Game for a Laugh. It was, it was just cheesy shit, frankly. And uh, uh, it really irritated me. In the comedy world, Hidden Camera was seen as the lowest rung. Like if you were smart, you went, you wrote screenplays, you did films, you did sitcoms. And I was like, but why, why is everyone ignoring uh, Hidden Camera? And I think the problem was it had slightly been taken over by that terrible word, pranksters. You know, and then you think of, it was just sort of being done by morons, really. And so I thought, I'm not stupid. I just thought, why don't I try and do, I mean, I, I never thought it through this clearly, but I just thought this is what I love doing, but it doesn't have to be naff. So I never set out doing Trigger Happy thinking I am going to make a surreal hidden camera show that will use a lot of sad music by Love and Rockets. And it wasn't supposed to be like that. It was just all the things I loved. I'm an ex-goth. I love very sad music. I do think I've got good eclectic music taste. Um, and I think growing up, I had a real mix of comedic influences from things like Tintin. You know, growing up in Lebanon, I had a lot of French and Belgian comics, which are very surreal, then mixed with things like the Beano and then Viz and, and then just all things from Not On Nine O'Clock News. And Dennis Pennis was a big inspiration for me. He came and filmed on my roof once and I was such a fan. And he just turned up and he did a, because I had a roof in London, he came and I knew someone who knew him. He came and filmed a link for his DVD or his video in those days on my roof. And I remember he just rocked up with a cameraman. I just thought, fuck, is that all it takes? Like, I thought you'd need thousands of people. And one of the great things that happened to me with Trigger Happy was when Trigger Happy was about to happen, it was a bit like punk. Like before punk, you had to be a professional musician. You had to go and do all this stuff. And punk was just like, fucking get a guitar, go in your garage and, and play a song. And, and with Trigger Happy, what happened was cameras suddenly became available the first one, we had a VX1000. It was so excited. It was fucking expensive. It was a grand. But it was just good enough quality that you could put it on telly. I mean, now looking at it, I didn't film Trigger Happy on that, but this was the early stuff. You know, it was terrible quality. But that just gave you so much freedom because before you'd have to hire a sound man, hire a cameraman, hire a production crew. They all cost a fortune. You go off. You could probably afford two weeks, and then whatever you got, you make your show with. Mm. Sam, who I made Trigger Happy with, we just bought the camera, rent and and then just filmed like we just went for a year and so we made so much shit and so much stuff that didn't work but we learned it and what it meant was by the time Trig Abbey was finished we had a fucking sh and we just had crazy amount of material and then Trig Abbey was all about the edit I went into the edit I sat there for four months and the joy for me was because I'm so into my music I was a, in a band really I'd preferred to be a pop star but had no musical talent um and so I, I just loved putting my favorite songs onto things I'd done and it gave really quite silly stuff a little bit of depth and, and often I would cut things differently so normally you cut your comedy and then you drop your music on top I would cut trigger happy to the music so I'd find the track I wanted to use and then I'd expand a joke for it so really it was all about cutting it so that it was like a seamless nice well-produced album which is why it sold to 80 countries abroad and then the music was so integral to it and yet it was so expensive to clear it. Every country in the world, apart from Germany, who bought the whole soundtrack, I had to drop a shitty sound-alike soundtrack on it. And it was just terrible. I mean, it still did really well in the States, but they've never seen the proper thing. And that's always been a source of annoyance. So I'm so glad it was your choice for the music, because that is one thing that makes the show for me, the, yeah. the choices of music, especially the scenes where when you've got like a, a hidden cam in a pub and there's a, obviously a bloke dressed up as a dog. 
and then uh, another one comes in and it's a slow motion kind of fight well that's like great you love that you love that because that's porter's head very near you Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a from that fantastic Portishead album, a bit of trip hop from near Bristol. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, times, yeah. So, yeah, that was fantastic. Those dog scenes were really interesting, actually, because I did have these fighting dogs, these sort of horrific dog violence. And uh, really, they became an excuse for me to use slow-mo and just really put in a beautiful song I liked. I used Jacques Brel. Yeah, works perfectly. I used Pavarotti. But actually, there was a point behind those originally. And originally, the idea behind that, dog violence was I used to walk around London and I used to look up everywhere and there were just fucking video cameras, CCTV cameras everywhere. And I used to, I mean, imagine now it's even worse, but then, and I used to think who the fuck watches this shit. And so I thought, well, I'm going to give them stuff to watch. And so those sketches would always start on a CCTV camera and then it would pan down to this dog violence scene. And I just would always love the idea that someone, whoever was watching this stuff, would suddenly be going, what the fuck was that? But then actually when I came to the edit, I realised that the CCTV thing, it was sort of trying to make a point. And Trig Happy wasn't about that. It was, Trig Happy was just about weird scenes. So it just, that's, it evolved into that. It was really it, odd. But I love those because you, because it's slow-mo, you can watch people walk past and half of them are thinking that's horrific violence going on. And then the other half going, but they're dressed as dogs, and people just <laughs> didn't know how to react. So I loved it. There was there was a scene um, on the first ones when a bloke, there was a, a family having a picnic, and there was somebody having a picnic on their own, and suddenly from the, the background these squirrels would appear. <laughs> and that was Hampstead Heath, uh, and so yeah, so the guy who the squirrels attacked was our guy. He was sitting on the table, yeah. and then there's this family having a picnic, and I just I think Trigger Happy always worked. I don't know why, like if, if we'd have run in as, I don't know, nin ninjas or something, it would have been weird, but there's just, you can see there's just a tiny part of the kids thinking, fuck me, are those <laughs> real squirrels? Like, cause you're in a squirrel area. And then even weirder, the guy, that particular scene, we, we had to, we normally, it was very difficult to hide. So normally we'd have terrible camouflage and stuff. But I think, I seem to remember in that particular scene, the guy, the cameraman climbed into the tree and then we had to wait because obviously if he climbed in the tree when the picnic people were there, then they'd see him. So he climbed into the tree and I think he waited up there two hours. Like people would walk past and look at that table and then move on. You're like, oh, come on, just have a fucking picnic somewhere. So a lot of Trigger Happy was hanging around waiting. Yeah, so much to unpick from, from that last five minutes of audio. First question. Um, you said you went off and filmed it with Sam for sort of three, four months. A year. Um, a year. And then you obviously went and did the edit afterwards. Yeah. Did you then have to pitch it to Channel 4 or was it already agreed that you were going to go off and make it? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, so no. So I was, I was making weird satirical stuff on the Paramount Comedy Channel, which was a weird cable channel where at the time everyone was working there at the time. Lee Francis was in the art room. Uh, Little Britain were making a thing called Mash and Peas. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was wandering around. Simon Pegg was working there. Like it was crazy, and we were all just doing jobs. But it was a it was a comedy channel, and they just put out American shit, not shit, you know, Friends, Frasier. But some bright spot had the idea to, well, why don't we? You know, all these people are quite funny. Why don't we make stuff and we'll put it out in between the shows? And they're called interstitials in 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 TV talk. And so I started making this thing called War of the Flea. This was at the time of cool Britannia and Tony Blair was in and stuff and so I just went off had a go at the, the establishment so 
I'd be chasing Peter Mandelson around with a, a sort of underworld fan club or putting Millennium Domes in his garden or uh, <laughs> we'd be taking the piss out of celebrity chefs by being a poacher turning up in restaurants trying to sell pheasant outside of my stuff all sorts of weird stuff um and then channel four spotted that and it became quite cultish i remember noel gallagher telling me that uh him and liam used to sit and watch it and i was like fuck that's so cool so i was quite <laughs> excited and i used music in that and it got a bit of a cult following and then um Channel 4 approached me and they were doing a thing called Comedy Lab where they were doing one-off shows. And they said, would you like to do a Comedy Lab? And I said, yes, I would. And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do more of this. I want to, you know, go after MPs and do all sorts of stuff like that. And the luckiest thing that happened to me was the commissioning editor, Caroline Levy, had just made brass eye with Chris Morris. And she said, I've just spent two years in court, like doing legal shit. I can't take any more. Is there any way you could just do what you're doing, but don't make it like, political or controversial just do funny shit and I suppose because of, you know my background was political I was a journalist and stuff I kind of thought I would need to be satirical but actually that was the greatest thing because I just thought right I don't have to prove anything I just want to go and be funny and and you know there's no like you're either on one side or the other as we are now where everyone's like you're not on my teams you know you're not on my side politically so you're not funny it was just this is just stupid stuff basically but done well I think and so I did the comedy lab and that did fine. And then, yeah, they commissioned us for six half hours and I, and they paid us. And so we spent a year making it. Mm. And then I did the edit and I thought, I, you know, you don't know. I, I remember thinking, do you think you know when you're making a really shit show? And, you know, having made some myself, I think, yes, you do. But at the time I was just thinking, I don't know. I just remember thinking, this is fucking good, but I would think that I'm, I'm in it. Um, and it was really the first show I'd ever made. And then we we handed it in like prep to to the powers that be, and then they announced it was going out at nine thirty between Friends and Frasier, and I was like, "Fucking hell!" Why? Oh, it was just insane. And I remember three weeks later, after it went out, I was sitting on a train, and uh, that ringtone went off on my big mobile. You can see the mobile behind you. Is that yeah. a lovely prop? Is that the, one of the original ones? That is the original one. The original, original one. Wow. Every time anyone speaks to me, I go, do you still have the mobile phone? I go, yes, it is. That's well, I wasn't it. going to ask that question because I expect you get asked that all the time. But there you go. There Although it is. Someone just sent me this. I used to have a toy. This this is me sitting in a cinema chair. And you used to put your mobile in there. Anyway, I was on this train and I'd chosen the ringtone for the big mobile because I hated it so much. It was called Grand Vals. And actually just around that time by serendipity, uh, Nokia decided it was going to be the Nokia default ringtone if you didn't change your ringtone so every time that went off that was like a kind of subliminal ad for trigger happy but i was on this train and I, you know you don't understand what's happening to you when it happens to you and i was it was two weeks three weeks after the first trigger happy went out and that ringtone went off and no one knew i was on the carriage and three people stood up and went hello i'm on the train and i was like Fuck you <laughs> what the fuck has happened did you stand up at this point and show your no, face or not no i just i suddenly realized that my life had changed like it was really weird like i knew instantly my life had changed and it was terrifying because i i was really comfortable with my life before i knew what i was doing i was kind of like an underdog uh and i was like i mean that's what war of the flea was about war of the flea was a title used to describe guerrilla warfare about how one flea bites a dog who gives a shit but a thousand fleas bites a dog. Sorry to my dog. Um, it kills it. And I was always this little nuisance. And suddenly I thought, fucking hell, this has gone big. And I hated going big because 
just everyone has a pop at you and there's expectations and I'm shit at that. So I suddenly thought, fuck, I'm in a world, I don't know the rules now. But it was quite the ride. Yeah, you made, that, you made that ringtone famous. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's, it's something that even to this day, if that people have got that ringtone, it's it comes all comes flooding back. Um, I'm interested about some of the the sketches and sort of how you came up with them. Was it literally the answer like... generally is the pub, but carry on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the pub over the last over the prior five ten years, did you have a little book that you would make? Oh, that 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 looked know. really interesting. No. I could do that. No, I'd never even thought about comedy. I mean, I was a I was a political producer in parliament and then I was a diplomat um in Prague um and then I started doing the Mark Thomas show and then and then went to Paramount Comedy Channel and and so I did start to think about stuff but no not at all Trigger Happy was totally if I could think about where ideas came from from Trigger Happy roughly they came from Viz and Bino in the sense of I always loved that you had the park keeper the milkman the postman so we often used to think, you know, I'd be driving down somewhere and I'd, I'd look at a milkman and think, fuck, milkman. I haven't done anything with a milkman. What happens with milkmans? Milk. What, who likes milk? Cats. So it's obvious I'm going to have three large cats follow a milk float around. And when he stops, they're going to nick his milk. And that, that's sort of how it came. Now, it sounds insane at the time. But once you get into the mode, you're just constantly thinking about it. My most famous one, I suppose, the one I like the best, the snail crossing the road. Yeah. I, I, just, I, I remember being in the pub uh, with Sam and I suddenly went, fuck Sam, snail. And he went, and he just knew exactly what I was talking about. <gasps> Zebra crossing. I go, yes, <laughs> everyone will stop. It'll be amazing. But what's incredible is I think some people, a lot of people probably have stupid ideas, but I was in a situation where I could literally ring someone and go, I need a snail costume. And, you know, two days later, I had this amazing snail costume. We went down to Redcliffe Gardens near Fulham and I just stop at the zebra crossing. Uh, all these cars stop and I slowly crawl across the road and we got it. And I, you know, that's been viewed like 50 million times, but it, it was like the first go. And it was so much fun that actually, even though we knew we had it, I did it again. And the second time I did it, I'm crawling across and I look and one of the cars that stopped, two pairs of feet get out and they walk towards me. And because I've got massive horns on, I can't sort of turn my head. I'm right on the, on the road. It's not a good look. I'm in a body stocking and stuff. And all I can hear is, and what do we think we're doing, sir? And it was two policemen, plainclothes policemen. And I went, <laughs> I'm re really sorry. I'm filming a, a I tried to get posher than even the normal. I'm really sorry, officer. <laughs> just, just, just filming a hidden camera show. Are we, sir? And you can see him thinking, this guy's a fucking loony. I go, yes. I, I think if you look over there, you'll see my cameraman. Sam had just fucking pegged it the moment he'd seen the police. <laughs> so I was just <laughs> left there dressed as a snail. And the end, I stood up. And the guy goes, listen, mate, I don't know what your fucking problem is, but if you don't fucking fuck off, you're nicked. And I went, goodbye. And I just go off. There was lots of weird shit like that. That was going to be one of my questions is, is did, did it ever go horribly wrong? And obviously that is a, a great example. Um, I've, got a, I've got a better one than that. Okay, go for it. We had a, I had a character... It was a spy, you know, wore gabardine mat, the hat. I used to love all this spy. Red squirrel, gray squirrel. Red squirrel, gray squirrel, all that stuff. And so I used to sit on a bench and look at someone and slide a briefcase and go, the cars fly backwards in my house. Are you gray squirrel or you have the briefcase? All that shit. And uh, we always used to do it in the same sort of places. And we'd film uh, often from a Previa. So we had a Previa, Toyota Previa with a tinted windows. And we'd sort of 
park outside somewhere. Sam would film through the window and I'd go down. But the best thing we liked was if we found some benches. Trigger Happy really was all about benches in parks. And so we thought we're always doing it in the same place. Let's go somewhere else. So we drove down the embankment near the Houses of Parliament. And there were quite a few little sort of squares off the river. And we spotted one and I thought that looks good. And there were lots of people having lunch sort of sitting on benches. So I thought this is perfect. So Sam goes in and he hides in a, in a, in a bush quite well. And Sam and I had become almost telepathic by those days. So he knew what was going to go on. So I sort of pointed, he could see the bench I was going to do. There was a guy in a suit with a briefcase, perfect, just sitting there having his lunch, little sandwich. So when we're ready, I go, I'm going in. And so I walk in, I sit down, bench is here. I'm here. The bloke's here. And he looks at me and then looks back down. And then I look at him and then I go, uh, the cows fly backwards over my house in Leningrad. Do you have the documents? And he looked just totally freaked out. And he stood up and he just bolted off. And I was like, fucking hell, what was that about? So Sam comes out and goes, what was that about? I don't know. He goes, all right, we'll reset. Let's do it again. So Sam goes back in his bush and we find another, another bench. And I'm just saying to Sam, I'm about to go in and I'm walking towards the bench. Suddenly out of nowhere, just fucking I'm pinned to the ground, like three massive plain clothes pin me to the ground. They handcuff me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> turns out this is the the square that backs onto the ministry of defense yeah all the people in there are <laughs> ministry of defense employees who are like terrified of being turned or whatever so and, he probably uh, was one of them it was and again again they were like what are you doing and i was like no 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 just to let you know you know i'm, I'm filming sorry it's been a misunderstanding sam had fucked off again so i was taken in and i was taken to a little cell in the ministry of defense and then taken to a police station and stuff. So that was all quite exciting. It was good. Oh, my God. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, we mentioned Sam a, a few times. So yeah. Sam Cad Cadman um, right. produced uh, produced it with you. Yeah, uh, he and I made it together. We were just two, you know, we were pre-YouTube, basically. Are you are you guys still, still close? Yeah, well, I've never been close to Sam. It's very weird. He's a very odd individual, uh, and uh, <laughs> he's quite tricky. But he's the, he's the sort of yin to my yang. Like, Sam is incredibly... OCD, very driven, very organized. And I'm the complete opposite. I'm sort of fairly lazy. And, and I just, like me and Rich, I'm Sam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you need that. You know what I mean? And so I'm happy with that. It, it's, it's, I think sometimes in bands, you know, like you sort of think there's someone who's obviously the leader or the, the, the talented one. But then when everyone goes solo, it's never quite the same. And you realize that there's some uh, sort of unquantifiable chemistry that somehow works. And a lot of it is to do, if you look at brothers in bands, Oasis being one, it's about friction sometimes. It's almost that friction makes you both perform to your top. It's not that I had friction or arguments with Sam at all. It's just, he's quite odd, <laughs> you know, and it was always just like, I never knew where I was with him. And I think right. that really made it work. But we developed a telepathy that I've never had with anyone else. I mean, Sam knew what I was thinking and he would know exactly when I was about to walk into shop when to pull out the whole point of trig happy was it was all to happen in one frame so that you knew we weren't cheating or cutting or stuff like that yeah. but it was very simple and uh really all of trig happy is me trying to make sam laugh that, and and often like we got often massive ads on the back that people wanted us to make ads in the trigger happy style i go there is no trig happy style it's just sam laughing you know like and it's just really if i know the if i know the camera's really rocking in the end sam got a monopod so that he could put his his camera 
put it on the ground so that he didn't rock so much because I just made him laugh and, and he made me laugh and that's what it was about really. One of one of the big talents that you possess is not cracking whilst you're filming this. The number of times that you must have been close to it, you know, we've seen. Uh, there's a word for it, isn't there? Is it uh, what's corpsing. the word? Corpsing. That's corpsing. the one. That's the one. There Very must, weird. The most there famous, must be some occasions. The most famous corpser is this person behind me here, which is Peter Sellers's death mask. Peter Sellers corpsed all the time. The difference for me is I'm approaching someone as a character. So basically I'm lying to them, you know, like I'm going up. So if I suddenly start laughing in the middle of it and they realize that the piss is being taken out of them or I'm not serious, then it becomes really awkward. Then I have to go, oh, sorry, it's me. But if I just keep a straight face all the time, then there's never that moment of awkwardness because it's not me. There's only one time I can remember where I, I cracked and I hid it. And it's in the first series of Trig Happy. And I go down to a place called Porlock Weir in Somerset. And I'm dressed as a sort of old sea captain. I've got a yellow sou'wester and a cap. And I, again, you know, we didn't know what the joke was going to be, but we just thought it's a nice fishing port. This bloke looks like he belongs. He's got a pipe. And I'll go in and we'll just try and think of some funny stuff. So Sam went on the beach and filmed up and I saw these two old ladies and I thought, right, I'll go in, I'll warm up on them and I'll start chatting, get the character. We'll work out what the joke is and then we'll go and do one. So I go up to these two and literally the moment I started speaking to them, I used to have this thing called the traffic light system when I approach people because you never know till you talk to someone. Red, green light meant you can do what the fuck you want here. You can say anything. They'll, they'll go for it. Amber means, okay, you need to play this carefully. Don't push it. Red light means dead behind the eyes, just released from Broadmoor, run away. Yeah? <laughs> these were full green. Like the moment I went up, I went, uh, evening ladies or afternoon ladies. They went, oh, hello. And they were just these lovely, chatty, cockney women who just everything I said, they went, oh, yes, oh, yes. So I ended up going, yeah, or you, or you don't go out to sea anymore. Or, or you lost my wife out there. Oh, did you? And my dog and your dog. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then there was a whale out there and I blew it up with some dynamite. I didn't. I'm just talking nonsense. And they go, oh, oh, oh. And all that. It was just absolutely fantastic. And there's just one bit where, where she goes, and, and are you married now? And I go, no, no, I can't. I'm a homosexual, I'm afraid. And she goes, oh, it's such a shame. He's such a handsome man. And I just couldn't stop laughing. So instead of laughing, I pretend to cry about my lost wife. But that was the only time I remember, because they were just so incredible. They were amazing. Oh, my God. That, that, is, that is fantastic. Um, we, we've, we've touched on the music. And the music, yeah. whenever I... So it was fantastic that about a month ago when I was scrolling through Netflix, as you do, and I saw Trigger Happy, and I thought, I've got to watch that now. So I was up until two in the morning, watched the whole of season one. It all came flooding back. But the the music sent me back straight back to the year 2000, 2001. Um, and that the theme tune, it all just fits perfectly. It, you must have launched bands, you know, as well. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's Novocaine really for the Soul, for, for example, is wow. one that sort of stands love, out for me. I'd love to say I launched Eels, but I mean, Eels are a fantastically massive band. But you, not, not launched, but took them to the masses. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, Eels were very popular. I mean, it depends what music you're into. I mean, Eels were very well known. There were certainly much more obscure ones. That There was a, there was a band called The Honey Smugglers, and I used a, a song by, called Listen by them, which were, was fantastic. And they reformed because of that, which was quite pleased. There's a there's a sketch I do in, which I unfortunately I didn't use in the actual Trig Happy, but I put in the DVD extras. But it's one of my favourites where I go to a builder's yard and I'm asking for all sorts of different crap. 
And one of the things I'm asking for is a bag of soggy chimps. There is now a band called Soggy Chimps, which is quite nice. Um, and then weird things. I mean, a lot of the song I, I used very, you know, I used Jacques Brel from the 60s. I used stuff from the 70s. Uh, there was definitely some Britpop. Elastica, for instance, I'd chosen Connection to be the title, the theme tune early on. And I asked to get it cleared. And we were coming very close to the moment where we had to seal the edit and we hadn't heard back. And I rang the record company and they said, no, I'm sorry, it's a no. And I was like, for fuck's sake, like, it's crazy. And I was like, but I've cut this title sequence and everything. And so I literally got, I was editing in my flat. I came out, I drove up Portobello Road and I was going to go into town. This is how old it was. I was going to go to HMV and flick through CDs to try and give myself ideas for another song. And this is why this is why I saw Trigger Happy was meant to be sometimes. I was going up Portobello and there was a cash point on the left on Elgin Crescent. And as I go up, I see Justine Frischman, who lived round the corner with Damon from Blur. And there was Justine Frischman at the fucking cash point. So I get out and I just run up to her and she's like, Whoa, and I'm going, look, I'm really sorry to bother you. I, I'm, I know this is completely insane. My name's Dom. I've just made a show. I've used Connection as the, the, the title. And your record company has just said, we can't use it. Please, can we use it? And why have you said no? Like, you know, it's crazy. Can I show you the show? And she said, well, I haven't said no. But, and this is what you realise is that record companies just can't be asked and they say no to things. And she said, I haven't said no. I said, well, look, I said, again, this is really weird, but I do know where you live. Can I just drop, can I drop a VHS through your door and, and with my number? And she said, yeah, absolutely. So I went back, got a VHS, dropped it through her door. Next morning, I get a ring, and it's Justine Frischman. She goes, it's fucking lovely. It's, I've rung the, uh, I've rung the uh, record company, and they said yes. So that was amazing. Oh, amazing. Had, God, we what had a story. We had, we had another song. The most requested song, weirdly, uh, was Gordon Lightfoot, If You Could Read My Mind, which I used. Uh, we are in Trafalgar Square, and I was this sort of portrait artist constantly having a nervous breakdown and doing weird things while people are sitting for a portrait. And I loved Gordon Lightfoot. Like, I mean, I had a Canadian girlfriend, now I've got a Canadian wife, and you know he's well known in Canada and I loved that song from when I was a kid so I put that song on everything and actually I try not to use songs that are literal you know as in oh but actually if you could read my mind was a bit literal it was like I'm crazy me you know but I love that song so I put it on and actually that was getting so requested people were like what is that song what is that song and I just thought I was getting a bit cocky and I thought fuck this is you know this is going to make Gordon Lightfoot's career uh, why don't I contact him and we'll re-release it we'll make a trigger happy video with it and we'll have a Christmas number one. You know, I was like, this is what we're going to do. So we contact Gordon Lightfoot's manager in, in Canada. And I imagine he's in some log cabin in the middle of nowhere. And someone runs up the hill and goes, Gordon, Gordon, you're big in England. And it's, he's going to be so excited. And we wait and wait and wait, nothing. So again, I, I ring his manager and I go, you know, not to press you, but Christmas is coming. We've got to get that Christmas number one. Uh, is Gordon up for it? And he said, no. And I said, oh, why did he see the show and he goes yeah he did he thought it was shit and i went oh okay fair enough now of course i know gordon lightfoot that song i think is one of the most re-recorded songs in the world like there's about 200 covers of it he's made like 400 million quid he's wow. one of the biggest you know he doesn't give a fuck about trig happy tv <laughs> there was lots of weird things like that there was another one where now i just freak with embarrassment because i used I think I used 1985 by Wings. I love the album Band on the Run by Wings. And I used that, but in such an embarrassing footage, it was me in a fat suit trying to get out of a fucking phone booth. I mean, it was not paying the respect Wings deserved, but there was a moment where 
we were trying to get clearance and the person we were getting clearance from said, I have Paul McCartney on the other line. I'm just checking with him. So I technically spoke to Paul McCartney and I heard him go, yeah, all right. And that was like, that's Paul McCartney saying, yeah, all right. So lots of weird shit like that was great. And just touching on what you said there about that sketch. um, So quite often it's it's in the lift or sorry, in the, in the phone, phone booth. There's one in a lift as well. Yeah. Who's the other guy? Is that Sam dressed up as well? No, actually, no. That, uh, yes, okay. So there's one in a lift where I have a heart attack. Um, uh, that's Sam. Sam has the long blonde hair. But normally, uh, with the two fat guys, when we're sort of clogging the escalator and stuff, that's a guy called Paul Young, who was my researcher at the time. Uh, and he's gone on to be a really, really big director. You know, he directed um, he did Saturday Night Takeaway with Anton Deck. He does... Uh, uh, balls of steel he's done all sorts of hidden camera stuff and also al campbell who's my other researcher has gone on to be barry shippies in uh um in screen wipe and as directing code 44404 so all my little proteges have done really really well and i now feel very awesome. old no that is fantastic um so one sketch or sketch that i really enjoy watching and again it goes back to the how you didn't corpse i don't know is the is the celebrity interviews so yeah. when they get interrupted so from memory you had dickie bird uh, tony robinson leo sayer jason donovan yeah. and the legend that is bob holness how you how you could do that to bob holness i i, I don't know so here's what's <laughs> interesting firstly I, I i i like to think we're never nasty to the celebs no 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 um but really, a lot of those people I chose were quite niche. You know, like Dickie Bird. I just fucking love cricket. I wanted to meet Dickie Bird. I did Ian Botham as well. Bob Holness yes. was quite old and he was quite sweet. And I was a bit nervous about doing that. But very weirdly, the person who set him up was his own daughter. So in, <laughs> if, if you watch that sketch, there's a moment where I run off and, and, she, uh, and she appears and she's his daughter. So I felt really good with that because I knew that she would then explain to him. Like, we never explain. With celebs, with, with people on the street, it's unfair to just do it and fuck off. You have to get a mm. consent form. So afterwards, someone had to go in and explain what was going on. And that meant so much stuff that I'd love to show couldn't be shown, normally because people were wandering around with someone that wasn't their other half. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that happened a lot. But um, anyway, but everyone that's on the show signed consent, so that's fine. But with the celebs, there was this thing called London at Large, and it used to come out like a fact sheet every week, and it would tell you what was happening in London. So it would say, Friday at Waterstones Piccadilly, Ian Botham will be signing his... It just gave you, if you were like a paparazzi or a journo, just gave you a list of all the people that are doing stuff. And so when we turned up, we never lied, but because I used to work in Parliament and I used to work as a reporter, I had a sort of, you know, a smart suit, and I knew what you did, and no one really asked. They just go, where are you from? And you just say Channel 4. They just assumed we were Channel 4 News. We never said Channel 4 News. And so we didn't have to get consent because we hadn't lied and the camera wasn't hidden with the celebs. Like they could see they were being filmed. The problem with the celebs was often when you did someone in the street, even though if you got a really good one, you're like, fuck, we'll never get that again. You could have another go. With the celebs, you only had one go. You couldn't fuck it up. Mm. Uh, And so the adrenaline behind it was amazing, especially when we got quite high concept. I mean, there was one... We did, the, we did an author called Hanif Qureshi, and he was doing a signing in a bookshop in Hampstead. And so I thought, right, I'm going to do this thing, but also I want it to be even better. There was a period where in all the celebrity interviews, I wanted in the distant background just to have a polar bear <laughs> holding 
holding two shopping bags, just staring like a member of the public. I'm like, why would I make my life more complicated? But anyway, we've got a person dressed as a polar bear with the shopping bags and Hanif Qureshi comes out and we called our thing, we called it on the street with, because they were always like, why are we, why are we on the street? We go, it's called on the street with. And so Hanif Qureshi is set up, he's there, he's in the background, uh, is the polar bear with the, he can't see him, he's about hundred meters behind just staring. And Sam's just saying, uh, the presenter will just be here. He just rang me saying he's had an accident. And I turn up and I've got a massive bandage wrapped around my head. And I tell Hanif Qureshi that I've just been hit by a bus uh, and he's, and I'm clearly concussed. And he's like, we, we shouldn't do the interview. And I go, no, 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 you're the important one. Let's do the interview. And then I'll go, I'll go, I'll, I'll go to the zoo. He goes, you mean the hospital? I go, yeah, the hospital, you know, so, <laughs> so, so you can see Harishi's thinking I shouldn't do so. And then I, I keep calling him Mr. Derek or something, you know, all the questions I'm clearly concussed. And I'm thinking this is sort of cruel, but it's funny. And there's the polar bear. And then I'm, I'm gonna, in, the plan is I'm just gonna wander off mid answer as though I'm concussed. But then suddenly a real life ambulance comes up the road and Qureshi waves down the ambulance and they come up and they're trying to treat me for concussion. I'm trying to finish this. The polar bear is in the background. It's, th that was the shit. I just loved all that stuff. It is that is that in the show? Yes, I think that one is in the show, yeah. Well, with, the, with the ambulance and everything, or you have to cut that? I think the ambulance we put in the... I think that was in the extras on the DVD. Right. I mean, it was 20 fucking years ago, I don't know. But yes, it is all there, yeah. Jeez, that's fantastic. Did, and did, you, did, you get any, did you get any bad reactions from the celebrities? Did anyone get really funny yes. about it? Or? Yeah, yeah, interestingly. So a lot of bad ones. I did Boris Johnson very weirdly. I just remembered the other day. He was the editor of The Spectator. And I got him out of The Spectator, again, as part of In the Street With, and he was there. And the joke was that as... I was talking to him. I had a traffic warden in the background who was going to be clamping my car. And so I'd go and have an argument with the traffic warden and then punch him repeatedly in the face, stamp on him, and then come back and talk to Boris and see if he'd carry on with the conversation. So I'm starting to talk to Boris. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I go, uh, uh, Mr. Johnson. And he suddenly goes, hang on. And then, so I'm talking to him. And then the, the, I look and the traffic warden starts to do his stuff. And Johnson looks at me and then he suddenly goes, hang on, I, I know you, you're, 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 you're Ali, Ali G or um, you like that. I'm like, fuck, we couldn't use it. And I, I can't find the footage, otherwise I'd do it. But some, some very weird people did react badly. Leo Sayer, I had at the end of series two, and I thought at the end of series two, I'd give the public uh, their own back. So the joke is on me in series two, because a clown comes up and slaps a custard pie in my face, which I thought I deserved a tiny fleck of this, just not even custard, goes on Leo Sayer's suit. He's so livid, he sent us a bill for his suit being dry cleaned. And at the top of the letter was his hair, like as a sort of letterhead. And Rick Waitman went, I did the same thing as I did with Hanif Qureshi, as in the bandage and stuff. And he went mental, like he was so angry. Um, I did uh, Kate Aidy, the BBC foreign correspondent, and we got her out of a press club where she was giving a talk it was so stupid. So I'm talking to her about how dangerous is it when you're, you know, in a foreign environment and the war's going on. And I got someone over the wall to shout, incoming! And Sam and I just hit the deck here. Yeah? So we're just <laughs> playing on the floor. And she's just looking at us like, and, and I just felt like you'd done it in front of your mum or something. It was so yeah. embarrassing. So I got up and I ran away, as I always did. She then tried to confiscate the tape of Sam, which is like, really? You're K-80 and you're trying to confiscate a tape. You mentioned... Um 
you mentioned Boris, recognize yeah. you do, yeah, but the wrong, you got, you got the wrong person. Did it start to become people used to recognize you more often or, or crowds used to form around the gags? No, you know I mean? not, not really. It's, it's quite odd. What made, it actually made it easier because actually once people had seen Trigger Happy, uh, the second season, when we'd have done a joke, then when we explained them it was for Trigger Happy, they knew that it was like a nice show. They weren't going to be made to look like twats. And they were really excited to be on it. But the amount of people I had who I'd do something on, and then we'd explain it to Trigger Happy. They go, oh, fuck, I love Trigger Happy. Is Dom Jolly here? <laughs> and they go, you were just talking to him. <laughs> so it's really weird. People just get in a bit of a sort of tunnel vision. They don't think about it. Like, we're all aware, and you think, oh, I wouldn't be caught out. But no, it's so very rarely, actually, have I had that. I always dreaded it when <laughs> I did one. <laughs> I did one, uh, I did a sort of new Trigger Happy in 2016. I did a mini one for all four. And I went to a bench in Cheltenham near here, actually. And I was doing a joke. And basically I was sitting on the bench with a sort of can of special brew. And it was kind of like, I'm homeless. And I was going to, I was going to riff into something else. I don't know what it was. And I sit next to this bloke and I'm chatting away and I'm starting to go on about how tough it is. And I'm getting into the joke. And the bloke just suddenly said, are you Dom Jolly? <laughs> And it just killed it. Like, you know, I have, I, I, and I just, I just went, yes. And he goes, are you homeless now? I go, yes. <laughs> and then I just get up and leave. And it was just like, oh my God, it was terrible. So yeah, there are moments where it's difficult. Uh, brilliant. But you, you then, um, there was a US version uh, made of it. And apparently you weren't very happy with it. Was there well, the US a reason version, for that? The US version was a nightmare. I'd finished Trigger Happy and I, I really wanted to knock it on the head. And in hindsight, I should have just said, right, two year gap, do something else. The thing I've learned most in my life is never make an important decision right after you finish doing something because you're tired of it and stuff. I should have just said, stop for two years, do something else. But as it was, I was like, fuck this, I've done that. I'm off to BBC to do stuff. And just as I got to BBC, uh, I finally sold it. I was going to sell it to MTV, but MTV wouldn't use the right music, so I held on for ages. And in the end, Comedy Central bought it with the shit music, and I thought it might as well go out. And Comedy Central immediately said, we'd like you to make your own show in the States. And I'd just had a kid. I'd just moved to the BBC. I'd kind of had enough of Trigger Happy. So I said, well, I don't want to. I mean, I can't believe I said that now, but I didn't, I really didn't want to actually. I was very happy. Uh, and so they said, well, will you at least come out and do a couple of scenes in it and produce it? And I thought, well, yeah, I'll produce it. That'd be fun and I'll edit it. So I fly out to the States. I go to Miami and Seattle and LA and I do a couple of big mobiles and a couple of things but oh I'm, I'm sort of getting warmed up really and I hadn't done Trigger for a year so I thought oh I'm quite back into it and uh, I can't wait to really start thinking about ideas and stuff and I get to a hotel one night and they go do you want to watch the show and I said what show they said Trigger Happy I said what do you mean I'm producing <laughs> it and they said no no we've done it it's going out tonight oh I my go, god I go, what I mean literally I had a deal to fucking produce edit this thing and I was like what so I literally watched it. I was in tears. Like, I mean, it was like if someone had made, in hindsight, it made people realize how difficult it was to make a really good trigger happy because it was so shit. But it was like someone had taken a trigger happy and thought, right, what do we need? Animals, slow-mo, random indie music. I mean, it was just shite. I mean, it was so bad. I just looked at it thinking, I cannot believe you've done this. And so that kind of killed the brand in, in, in America. But now, weirdly, it's got a resurgence, the original, because the original is now being seen with the original music through things uh, like Netflix and stuff. So it's very weird, but it just shows you don't get lazy. Don't take your foot. You know, if you own something, people call people, think people control freaks and difficult. Well, you know what? You're only difficult if you fucking care about what you're making. 
Because if you just let someone else do it, they're going to fuck it up. They don't give a shit. So yeah, I've made so many mistakes in show business. I could write a book about it, but I've had a fucking good life. No, oh, absolutely. I was just looking through your career and the shows that you've done. Um, we'll use the word career loosely, but yeah, it's fine. Well, yeah, it's a career. Um, is there anything outside of what you've done in recent times that's made you physically laugh out loud? What, what's, what makes Dom Jolly laugh? What makes me laugh is to go to an enormous effort and travel enormous distances to do something totally pointless that really that's what makes me laugh so i mean there are things like there's a guy called nathan fielder who does a show called nathan for you um you can see it on amazon prime who is just i think it's the funniest thing ever i like deadpan dry humor um as an example in the, in the tour i'm doing dom jolly's holiday snacks because for the last 15 years or so i've been writing travel books so you know i've been to 106 countries i've gone to the weirdest places in north korea and skiing in iran and monster hunting in the congo and all sorts of stuff uh, and I like just being in very, very weird places. And just towards the end of the BBC, they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to make a show where I went around the world, uh, sort of doing trigger happy type stuff, but globally, uh, it was called world shut your mouth. And, uh, they said, okay, what sort of stuff you got? And I had this post-it note on my PC. I didn't really know what it meant. I'd just written it and it said, frighten an Eskimo. <laughs> I, 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 I know, I know Eskimo is not a word. You, you use it's Inuit, but Eskimo is a great word. So I'm not being offensive to the Inuit population, but it said frightening Eskimo. I really didn't know what it meant. It just made me laugh, the concept of it. And so they said, What do you mean, frightening Eskimo? I go, I'll be honest with you, I've no idea. I just I feel it'll be funny. Unbelievably, they they allowed me. So I get a crew and I fly to Newfoundland. It's an island in the north off the coast of Canada. I've no idea where it's Newfoundland. And it was a terrible idea because I get to Newfoundland. And they go, what's your reason for visiting Newfoundland? And I go, I'm here to frighten an Eskimo. And they went, well, we don't call them Eskimo, so we call them Inuit, and we don't have any here. And I go, fuck, I haven't done any research. I'm really bad at that. So the crew goes, do they say there aren't any here? I go, nah, don't worry about it. So we, <laughs> we, we get out, you know, I'm already on a holiday. I'm not going to ruin it. So we get out of the, 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 the airport, and we get in the car, and we drive out of St. John's, the capital, into, into the barren, frozen tundra that is... Newfoundland it's like the Falklands I mean it's fucking nothing there so we drive for one hour two hours three hours and the crew are like what are we looking for I go don't worry I know exactly and I'm, I'm thinking I haven't got a fucking clue four hours and suddenly just as they're about to say look what's going on it's all going to go pear-shaped we go over a hill and there is kind of what I think in my mind I imagine there's this massive expanse of a frozen lake pine trees in the background it's a beautiful shot and in the middle of this lake is a man who, if not an Eskimo, looks Eskimo-esque. He's wearing a sort of Kenny from South Park type He'll thing. He'll do. Yeah, and he's, he's, <laughs> drill, he's drilled a hole in the middle of the lake and he's ice fishing. He's sitting on a little chair. That's what they do for fun when they're not clubbing seals. And so I thought, right, this is it. So the, the van stops and I go, we're going to get this guy. And he's miles away, like 400 meters away in the middle of the lake. The crew all set up, cameras all ready. And I forgot to say, I brought a massive pair of cymbals with me. And so there's just this great wide shot of the guy in the corner fishing and then me just walking very slowly across the lake towards him. And the camera zooms, 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 zooms in till I get up right behind him and I just go wham and he jumps up. And then I just run away and I run back. I jump in the car. The crew run away, jump in the car and we drive five hours back to St. John's and we fly home. 
And that's what makes me laugh. <laughs> and uh, I, I got that, you know, I've got that footage and I just, that's what makes me laugh. Well, I'm going to have to try and find that footage oh, for sure. Well, come to my tour because I talk about it at length and show the footage on that. I'll, have, I'll ha definitely have to. Even but if look up, like if, if you want to see it, look up Eskimo, Dom Jolly, well, shut your mouth. Oh, brilliant. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> Dom, I, I, I have to ask you about 2010 and the I'm a Celebrity appearance yeah. because big fans of of that show Me even too. if it's now in wales for i can't for watch it in wales. Years. I, no i, I know it's, yeah. it's I, i'm not the same i've kind it, of given up in wales and also i've got to the age now where i i've become the person who goes who are these people they're not celebrities <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's exactly exactly rich as well yeah um but yeah it's i can't believe it was 11 years ago now but you came yeah, forth in Rub you did in. really, you did really well. Came fourth, and that was the year, the you infamous think I did year. Well, you think fourth is good? Oh, fuck that. Well, I think that's. You I don't want to be the first one out, do you? Uh, no, <laughs> well, no, and, and I nearly was actually, but um, I knew I, I knew I was never going to win because we knew Stacey Solomon the moment we went in. Like mm. Stacey Solomon was just born to win that, and yeah. that was fine. Uh, but, but I did it, think I, I did think my best case scenario was I could be third with Sean, and I thought. Me and Sean would be second or third. By, by the end, by once I knew we'd got rid of the flotsam, I, I thought, actually, this is really good. And, and I never thought I'd get anywhere near it. But then when we got there, I thought, OK, I can do this. I doubt I can beat Sean, but you never know because you don't know what you're doing in this. And but, then I had a but, fucking argument the night before with some uh, fucking Playboy bunny. And apparently the vote switched. So Jenny Eclair beat me. But Jenny, I don't know many comedians, but uh, Jenny is literally one of my best friends. Now. I love Jenny really? And I'm Perfect. really good, really good friends with Sean as well. Actually, Stacey Solomon dropped me like a stone. It's not bad. It's not Speaking of a stone, since she threw one in my face, but she, um, yeah, she was very nice in there, and then literally just completely ghosted me. But you know, that, that's showbiz. But um, every Sean time, Ryder, Sean uh, Ryder is amazing. Yeah, and and on Sean Ryder, every, every time since when there's a snake present. You just flood it just floods back to that moment oh. where the, the snake bites Sean Ryder on the on the fist. I was in the prison cell next to Sean Ryder, which is not a sentence I ever thought I'd be saying, but <laughs> I, I was in the prison cell next to Sean Ryder. And I remember, you know, they were opening these fucking pipes and I was terrified of spiders. So things were just rats were put. I mean, literally, you're just thinking, I'm in the fucking Hanoi Hilton here. They were like rats boring in. And you're just thinking, what am I doing here? Like, this is the end of Western civilization. And then I just remember Sean getting the snake and literally swearing at the fucking snake, yeah. you know, which is amazing. Uh, he's, he's incredible. I remember I came in late into that. You know, I was two days late, uh, which is always tricky. And it's that surreal scene where I, I ended up in some, it's not a jungle, it's a rainforest clearing. And they said, a helicopter is coming to pick you up. Already you're like, fucking helicopter, great. Helicopter lands, and in the helicopter is the most unlikely duo in show business. It's Sean Ryder and Nigel Havers. And they're in there. <laughs> and Sean Ryder just looks at me and goes, fucking great, go fucking get in. And Nigel Havers is just, he's got a thousand yard stare. He's, he just looks like a man. He looks like a man that's been three years in Vietnam. He just didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. And Sean, uh, Nigel Havers is a lovely man, but just those reality shows love someone like him who clearly had never seen the show mm. and every day he'd just be astounded this show existed <laughs> and that he was on it and he thought i really had some in on it because you know i watch a lot of it but it's not complex is it you know and deck come in and go tomorrow you'll face the tunnel of doom he goes what do you think it is old boy <laughs> i go they'll probably bury us alive and there'll be infrared cameras and then they'll drop you know maggots on us 
He was like, what? This is legal. <laughs> it was amazing. It amazes me, the people that go into this blind and not having seen it before. Like David Ginola, this time, obviously, not, not quite as extreme, but he'd never seen the show. Yeah, it is, it is really extraordinary. And I, I just, I never understand it. I, I just think people, I mean, I've done shows like that. Fucking hell. I mean, I watch a lot of shit. Let me tell you, there's very few <laughs> reality shows that have passed me by. But if you're invited to be on one that hasn't existed, I remember I got invited to be on a show called Splash, which was high diving. And uh, I thought, well, that's fucking great because people don't, people just think, oh, Dom Jolly, he'll be shit. But actually, uh, I dive off cliffs a lot. I love jumping off cliffs uh, in Canada every summer. I'm, I'm Mr. Cliff Jumper, Mr. Tombstoner. And we were going to be taught by Tom Daly. And I thought this will be amazing. Next time I'm up there with my kids, rather than jumping off, I can do some triple flip pike. I'm going to fucking nail it for the dads. <laughs> so it turns out there's only two high dive places in Britain. One's in fucking Basildon. It's the closest to here. So I have to go in four hours a day to Basildon to sit in some budgley smugglers and be taught by Tom Daly, who turns up for about 10 minutes a day. Anyway, quite early on, I'm the first one off the 10 meter board. And I can do it. Not a great dive, but I do it. And honestly, when you're up there, it, it just camera, you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? But I, yeah. I did it. So it came to the night and I thought, well, it's fine. I'm going to do it. It's absolutely fine. And I remember walking up there and it was live. And I remember just having a terrible panic attack. I got to the top. Vernon Kay is up at the top. And I'm just having an out-of-body experience. Thinking, what the fuck am I doing? I'm in a swimsuit. I'm on top of a fucking Olympic diving thing. I'm talking to Vernon Kay. And all I can remember is, just jump up and then down. That's all you have to do. Vernon Kay's talking to me and I just and I, I just go to the edge. I don't even think, I just go. And as I go, I, I can feel myself in midair falling 10 meters, just slowly toppling. And I think I'm gonna <laughs> land right on my tummy here. I'm just gonna hurt so much. And I hit and the pain is like oh. nothing I've ever heard. I literally blacked out. I came up above the water. <clears throat> And I was just, I could feel bruises. And all I remember looking is like my 10 year old daughter is sitting in the stands and she's so supportive. And I could see her just going like, and I knew it was so shit. So, you know, you never know. You gotta, you gotta do some research occasionally. Fantastic, what a great story. Um, so Dom, you've mentioned your tour. Just tell us a little bit about that. Um, what can we expect? So the tour is basically called Dom Jolly's Holiday Snaps. And, and because, you know, for the last probably 10 years, seriously, I've been a travel writer. Uh, let me just show you my books. Well, mm. you can't see them, but I've got Downhill Hiking Club, where I walk across Lebanon, Scary Monsters, where I go around the world, Scaring Monsters, The Dark Tourist, where I go <laughs> to all sorts of places, North Korea, Iran. Basically, I've gone to the weirdest places mm. in the world. I've done holidays, so you don't have to. And I've been to about 160 countries, and I've taken pictures, and I've videoed, and I've got weird stories where I've been arrested and shot at and all sorts of weird stuff. And I just thought, I know a lot of people coming to see me live think, what, what am I coming to see? Are you like, is he going to be in a squirrel costume chatting to a big mobile phone? So the first thing I say is, look, I'm really sorry. It's not, <laughs> it's not that. I'm going to try and explain to you why it makes sense to me that the man dressed as a squirrel on a big mobile phone now goes to the Congo and drives through Syria. And actually, I start off with some of my early um, travel stuff where I always, if there was a chance to film something abroad, I'd fucking blag it. Trig happy, we went skiing for two weeks, did all sorts of stuff. So it was always there. And then, well, shut your mouth. There's the Eskimo incident. There's I went round the world to all seven wonders of the world just to stand in front of them and go, that's shit. Uh, like there's some weird stuff going on. And then there's my first TV travel shows. And then there's my books. And so it's kind of like your neighbor knocking on the door and asking if you'd like to see 
his pictures of his weekend brass rubbing in Norwich, but it's a bit more interesting. I'm trying to call it extreme PowerPoint to make it sound <laughs> more exciting, but it is really good. And I've done it now for a year and a half. And that was supposed to be knocked on the head, but I've just booked another hundred dates because it really, really is going well. And I've nailed it now. And it's about 50 minutes, then a break, another 50 minutes. Uh, and it's fucking funny, uh, I think. So well, yeah, you can see it. And I'm in Bristol. We are the in Grey yeah, Theatre. Bristol, May the 12th, I think you said. Did I say that? I'm, I get it wrong, so let me check. Yes, May the 12th, Bristol, Redgrave Theatre. And I love Bristol. And yeah. thank God, because obviously I do interviews with other towns and I have to pretend I love them. But I genuinely do love Bristol. I was just Fantastic. there two days ago. My it's a great venue as well. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because I love Clifton because I, I go up to Clifton drinking. Well, not, not as much as I used to, but yeah. well, it's, it's a I have a lot of friends at the uni and stuff. So it's Clifton Village. Literally, literally, literally at the end of the road where the theatre is, you've got the big uh, grammar school there with the, the fields and... Oh, I know exactly where it is. Okay, I know exactly where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lovely lovely setting. Good stuff. Dom, we're going to switch gears onto um, a a regular segment of ours, if that's okay, and it's called Room of Doom. Now, it's basically Room 101, but we call it Room of Doom. Um, We each come up with something that uh, that has annoyed us recently or, or, or continues to annoy us, and obviously... We've done this now over a hundred times on the podcast, so they get more and more niche. So yeah. apologies now, um, but Rich, I'll let you go first. Well, mine is as usually a, a Facebook thing or a social media thing. Back in the day, when you had a child, you used to celebrate their annual birth, yeah. So one, two, three. Now, people start putting photos on when they're three months old. So they're led on this mat saying, "I'm three months old," written on it. Why is, why is that a celebration? Why are we celebrating three months and it'd be like six months and it'd be and what about 21 days? Gender reveal parties. Who oh, they're horrendous. Aren't they? like, just have the baby and then let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only, only two people care there. And that's the, yeah, the yeah, parents, not us. Yeah, not yeah, us I, have to go along to the pub or where we're doing it. But I don't know how many kids you've got, but I've got two kids. And I can tell you, first kid, I've got probably 100 photographs of every hour of their first 10 years. Second kid, I've got about two pictures a year. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. we Signs all know right. first kid. First kid's a big novelty. It really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a second child. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if you're going to celebrate it, that's put on Facebook as well. Do or, or so just celebrate it yourself in your own house that your baby's three months old. You don't have to advertise it. It's three months old. We, yeah, you get you get the cards. Win. You get the cards, don't you? Nine weeks, ten weeks, yeah. three months, etc. Yeah, we do know your child is growing. So. Yeah. Okay, so yours, yours, Rich, um, is is uh, celebrating non-yearly birthdays of of babies. I think we'll wrap that one up. So mine, mine is, and I'm struggling what to call this. So I've gone for the overlaugh. Now I saw someone do this the other day. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I saw, yes, I saw someone do it the other day, and it was two girls chatting at the gym, and one of them was giving it the shoulders, and everything was going, oh, and yeah. they were really going for it. And I, it, it reminded me of Theresa May doing it um, oh, in, in the yeah, Houses yeah. of Parliament, where she yeah. sort of did this. It's like a, it's like it's like if you programmed someone a robot to laugh. Yeah, they'd be doing that's all the right things, do but it. it just doesn't look right, does it? Yeah, so it doesn't look doesn't look right, and it, and you end up if if you, I was the person saying something that had that reaction, I would just be sort of look looking at them. So, do you find that funny, or are you overcompensating because you don't yeah. find it funny? You would so, think, yeah. you would think they're being sarcastic, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. So, so mine is the overlap. Uh, Dom, what are you going to go for? Well, you've you've thrown this at me slightly, but luckily I'm prepared because I've I've thought about this quite a lot because I nearly went on room 101 and then they told me that my choices weren't good enough and I disagree but this is very niche 
And this is, if you can't see it, it's not going to work, but I'm going to go with it anyway. It's the okay. way that actors, young people in kind of sitcoms and stuff, drink beer from beer bottles. They're always holding it like this. You can't see this because you're listening to this on a podcast. But <laughs> rather, just hold, rather than holding a bottle at the base, they're always kind of, they're sort of... They, holding they drink, it at the neck. They, they hold it at the neck with sort of two fingers and they sort of mm, like that. Yeah, or, drinks like that? I don't get it. Or a it. finger over it. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, right. you know, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're always <laughs> talking like that. You're like, no, you hold a bottle like that. <laughs> I, so I don't know. It's very niche. But it I love it. I... I love the niche. And if I could chuck one other thing in, yeah, please it's do. crisps. In crisp packet, in crisp ads, <laughs> they fucking iron the crisp bags. Like if you look at a crisp advert, the bags are like absolutely flawless. You're like, why? Who bothers doing that? If you can't provide that level of ironing service for the customer, then don't fucking put it in an ad. I thought you were going to say the word crisps. Because it never ends, does it, crisps? <laughs> oh, yeah. I like, yeah, Sam. Actually, the thing that really annoyed me the most about Sam and Trigger Happy was he was one of these people that he'd say nothing or something. <laughs> and okay. it drove me, it started to drive me nuts. I would sit, it was like a flatmate starting to really get on your nerves. I'd just wait for him to say the, I go, why are you fucking doing that? So everything so, annoys me to be honest. As you've thrown another one in, I'm going to say, and it, it was off the back of you, what you said about the drinking um, in, in TV shows. And it's it's when in a film or a movie or sorry, a TV show, when they film the person speaking from behind and their mouth clearly isn't saying what's yeah. being said. And that's, I, I, that, that's quite funny. That's the cutaway. And actually, I used to do a lot of jokes about that when I was doing fake interviews. So you always have if you see an interview with someone, you see them walking together and then you cut to the thing. So I'd always over exaggerate the walking and talking and because because in telly those are called noddies so like you do the interview and then they go can we just get some noddies so we'll get some footage of you nodding as though you're listening and then laughing so i always so i'll double annoy you because i do an over laugh on mine so i'm like <laughs> yeah but yeah but that's that that i would find funny but it's yeah. it's when it, when it's shot like a couple talking it's just bad lip syncing basically yeah exactly and yeah. you can see the side of their mouth going and yeah. well they're not saying that and and it takes me away from the conversation of more of a it ruins well, the Kardashians for this, you. This is crap. There were there was one yesterday. I was watching uh I'm watching Phil and whatever her name is uh, love it and list it. Was it Phil and Holly? Whatever her name is or Sop oh, and Kirsty Kirsty Alsop, it, it, the self-appointed headmistress of Twitter. Yeah. But um so you had her doing doing the house up and he was trying to he was he was the one buying the house to to love uh, to list. But he was in uh, stood in front of a state agent's window like that rubbing his chin and like pointing obviously that in him being filmed Anytime you ever see an academic or anything being like interviewed, the first thing they'll do is say, could you just sit at your desk and either pretend just to be <laughs> typing or just read something like that? I mean, it's just nonsense. Like, stop it. It's like, it's like I, work in, I work in graphic design, so we have a lot of kind of images of office scenarios, and it's all people laughing while staring at a, a screen. <laughs> Obviously, obviously, you've got every different kind of person there. Like you've got you no know, covered every gender, every kind of uh, nationality in that one there's, photo. So there's there's an amazing website called Shit Stock Pictures. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. Where, and disturbing stock pictures. You know, a man who's just killed his entire family holding a chainsaw. <laughs> you think, why do I need that stock picture? Dom, you've just got you've got a vote now between. Okay. So you, you can't vote for your own. Right. You, 
so so you've got uh, a three month baby pictures yeah you've got uh, the overlap and then obviously yours was a poor technique um, of drinking a bottle so you can't vote for yourself so where's your vote going i'm probably going to go uh probably going for riches actually uh, the the three month because i mean frankly everything on facebook is irritating oh it's it's, oh, it's just oversharing isn't it over yeah. oversharing nice yeah. um rich well, I was going to go with your overlap because that happens to me quite a lot in our little town hall meetings. Yeah, as soon as the, the, the boss says anything remotely funny, this one girl takes it upon herself to laugh out hysterically. So right. that one. Okay. And, and I'll go for Don. Everyone's a winner. Just Fantastic. a charity fuck. Yeah, thanks. It's a score, <laughs> it's a score draw. I appear to be yeah. now in some sort of sun lounge now. So I don't you, know yeah, you, you are in a sun lounge. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Don, thank you so much for spending the last hour and a bit with us. I it's really been, enjoyed that. Thank you. It's been, honestly, I watched the, the two seasons that are on Netflix um, of, of Trigger Happy TV and still found it as funny as I did oh, 20 years ago. It's, it's timeless. I really, I really appreciate that. I was so proud of it. So it is great to me that it's still... Uh, Stands the test of time. But thank you so much for Perfect. having me on. No, and, uh, I'm brilliant. sorry that you're going to be seeing uh, that rock musical shit. But if it cancels, then come and see me. in Bristol. I, I, if I don't come to the Bristol one, I will come to a different one. Don, thank you so much for your time. Hope everyone's enjoyed this. Don't forget to share um, this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3PIAPC. But for now, thank you, Don. Cheers, Rich. Thanks, Don. Cheers, Pat. Bye. Take care, everyone. Shin.